we are in a really difficult time where we need each other, and we need to be praying for each other, we need to be praying with each other, and we need to be walking with the Lord with each other in the context of these kind of relationships. Uh, it's good for us, and it's helpful to us, and I've never found a time in my life when the body of Christ has been more necessary we re, uh, sang earlier this morning, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. I need you, my one. What's the lyric? My one defense, my righteousness, uh, guarding against temptation. Lord, I need you. In all these ways, we really need the Lord. Uh, I mentioned it during our 12 week series in the fall that we're in an, uh, a time that's really unprecedented for our culture. Uh, at least that brought back memory. I couldn't remember a time in American church history when it was more easy to compromise your faith, when it was more easy for you to walk away, when our cultural, um, you know, the, the, the tide and the, the stream and the current was so heavy against you. There was never a, an easier time for you to compromise and walk away from the Christian faith and from Christian conviction than right now. And it's still true today. Uh, listen, just over the past week, I heard about another minister, another church planter that had to resign from ministry. Uh, and it just reminded me that, uh, that this is no guarantee that, that believers should continue to walk with the Lord. Uh, we spent 12 weeks talking about that, that, um, that it, there was never an easier time for you to walk away from the faith. Believers are doing it daily. 1 Peter 1.7 reminds us that these trials are, have come to strengthen your faith, to give you endurance, to purify your faith, though it were exposed to fire. And I know from talking to many people that this has been a firing time, that your faith is under fire, that you're being tested, that you're being challenged, that you're going through trials, that you may be... Uh, you may be experiencing conditions and circumstances and struggles that have caused you to wonder if God loves you, if God has a plan for you, if God is with you, if He's walking with you, if it's worth it. And I want to encourage you and to give you hope that it is absolutely worth it. That there's no, If you woke up in Christ today, that if all you're clinging to is that Jesus died on the cross for you and He loves you and that His mercies are new every morning and that you're abiding in Christ, that is something to worship for today. That He is holding you. That John says He will never snatch you out of His hand. Right? That is something to hold on to today because don't take it for granted. Believers all around our country are walking away from the faith because of the current against them in our in our country, and in our current situation. And the text that we're reading from today is Titus. This is Covenant Sunday. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Titus. We're going to look at a few verses in Titus, and we're going to use Titus as a backdrop just to talk about our covenant um, that we walk with together as believers in this small body of church. We're just going to talk about our covenant. And it's going to be a little bit interactive as we walk through our covenant this morning briefly. And then uh, next week we will have our covenant signing Sunday and you'll be able to turn in that covenant. But today we want to just briefly uh, explore our covenant together. It's not new. It's a document that we've had for a while and uh, even if this is your first time to be exposed to it, we're just going to paint it broadly. We're going to take the, 
the the twenty thousand foot view, and then you can look at that more deeply if you want to over the next week or so. But in Titus, uh, Paul has sent Titus to uh, an island called Crete. Crete is in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. Uh, and if you know Crete, there was a, uh, a saying about Cretans. They're always liars, uh, always cheaters. They're always, uh, you know, Cretans were terrible. And if you were a Cretan, we, you still even see that phrase in literature today. But if you were a Cretan, it, it just meant you were a, had no integrity, that you had no character, that you had nothing. And so when Paul went and evangelized the island of Crete on one of his missionary journeys, um, he spent time on that island uh, preaching the gospel, and believers were coming to faith, and then they organized them into small groups that would become churches, and then Paul left. But look at verse 5. Paul had left Titus there, and this is why. Verse 5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained, that is, the believers in every city, that you might put them in order. And that you would appoint elders or pastors or shepherds in every town as I directed you. And then he goes into some of the qualifications of what those shepherds and elders would look like. Uh, Look at verse 10. Uh, After he goes through those qualifications for the shepherds and elders, then he says this. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And that testimony is true. (laughs) Um, So, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he goes into some different things that describe how they're to teach, what they're to teach, what sound doctrine is going to look like. And he also describes some of the relationships that are going to take place. Look at verse 4. Teach what is good. Um, Sorry, verse 3. Older women are to be reverent and behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And then so they should train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. And in everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, it's that last phrase I want us to kind of focus on, that they may adorn the gospel. You see, here's the situation here. Paul has evangelized the island of Crete, 
And Crete would be like the one place that you just wish you weren't from. If someone said to you in the Roman world, hey, where are you from? Uh, you might say, well, you know, I've lived in a lot of places. Uh, and it would finally come down if you had to say I was from Crete, they would say, oh, Crete. And they would sort of grab their wallet and uh, make sure that they sort of understand where their possessions are. And, and they would not maybe not take your word seriously because there was a proverb about how terrible Cretans were. And so there's this black, dark, wicked backdrop upon which Paul has shared the gospel. And all around the island of Crete, there are these believers. And so in contrast to what they were, Paul is encouraging them to be something new, something that shines out, something that um, is hopeful. And so he's giving them these instructions on what, how to teach good doctrine so that good doctrine would lead to good practice. You can never have good practice, orthopraxy, if you don't first have good doctrine, orthodoxy. If you don't believe right, you're not going to act right. And so Paul is telling Titus, go around and teach correctly. Put them into groups. Help them to organize so that they may have these kinds of relationships within that body so that they may act right and be well-behaved. And our key phrase here is verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. See, it's good news that Jesus saves us. And it's great news that He redeems us and forgives us. And it's even better news that He changes us. But what's hopeful is the mechanism that He uses to change us. Now, hang with me. He puts you in groups, in clusters, in relationships, so that you may strengthen one another. That's why He gave them uh, commandments. He's telling them men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Women, and he gives them instructions. Younger women are to be in these relationships with these older women and to be pure, to be reverent, not addicted to wine and all these other things. He's talking about younger men are to be self-controlled and respectful. He's giving them specific instructions that would have applied to a, a person in any situation on the island of Crete. Now you'll find sections like this in Scripture all over the place. He says a different thing to the Philippians. He says a different thing to the Ephesians. But in all these things, he's giving specific instructions to their area on how they're to relate together as a body of believers and how they're to strengthen each other and help each other and how they're supposed to relate to one another so that they may adorn the gospel of Jesus. Now listen, we don't want to overcomplicate things. Uh, this is very simple. You are here in this room as a, as a believer in Christ, hopefully. Now, not everybody in the room is a, is a Christ follower. We understand that, that in every church, uh, Jesus said that the enemy will sow weeds among the wheat, and there are people in this room who are not believers. Right? There are people in here who have not given their life to Christ, and their ev- the evidence is in the way they live or in the way they behave or in their doctrine. It's very true, and that's, that's true. It's okay. Uh, we don't have to be afraid of that. That's just the truth that the, the church isn't always filled with believers, but it does have believers. There are believers in the room who love Jesus, who have yielded to Him, who have uh, accepted Him, received Him as the, the payment for their sin and put their faith in Him and are living with Him as the Lord of their life. And there's evidence in their life that shows that. For those people, uh, the Bible is clear on how we're to relate to one another. And if you want to, uh, a good, just 
understanding of what that looks like, we have drafted this covenant based on those passages uh, of one another. Matter of fact, our core team sitting around the Watsons uh, house, they used to live on Deerfield Lane, right there on that curve on Deerfield. We would, uh, we would all come together on Sunday nights and we would park and we would look up every scripture uh, that dealt with this word one another in the New Testament. And week after week after week, we would pray and we would eat and we would talk and we would hang out and we would look up these passages on one another and we would organize it all. We, we separated into small groups. I think, Lindy, you guys were there and the Watsons, you were there. The Mullers were there. Uh, other people were there. The Evans, I think you guys might have been there. But we would come together and we would look at the one another's and then we would draft this covenant. What are we supposed to be like toward one another? And so we wrote this covenant with that in mind. And I'm just going to briefly go through that covenant together so that we can hear how we're supposed to relate together. Now, this should be true of you whether you go to Ridgeline or whether you go to any other church in the world. This should be true of you. The first point of our covenant is we, the members, the body and bride of Jesus Christ and partners together for the gospel at Ridgeline Community Church, we covenant with each other to do this. Number one. To live for Jesus Christ and obediently follow Him. Right? Number one, we're just going to live for Jesus. I had a guy tell me a few weeks ago, uh, I don't like the idea of being in leadership because you don't know if at home what I'm doing in the middle of the night and if I'm uh, living a life of righteousness or integrity or if I'm walking with the Lord. And I said, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I have no idea if in your spare time, if in your heart you're entertaining sin and temptation and you're giving it. And it's not my job to be the moral police, right? I'm not, I'm, not the, I'm not the pastor who comes to your house and looks through your trash and finds out what you've been drinking or eating or doing. It's not my role. My role is as the shepherd to teach good doctrine and to shepherd the body, to pray for you and to walk with you. But it is in your own heart If you're a Christ follower, it is only up to you whether you will yield to Him and submit to Him and walk with Him on a daily basis. I can't make you do that. If I come to your house and if I wake you up gently with coffee and say, hey, it's time, let's have a quiet time together. We're going to go walk with the Lord. I'm going to, and I pick you out of bed and I help you. If I did that for every single one of you every morning, we walked to the living room and I sat down and, and got on my knees with you and we read together and we prayed together, in your heart you could, you could, uh, you could resist that. And not walk with the Lord. I can't. If I were to do everything for you, spoon feed you truth and Bible, you still in your heart could say, uh, "Have you ever had a baby spit baby food out?" Right? They don't have to eat. <laughs> right? You don't have to walk with the Lord, and it's not my job to make you walk with the Lord. It's you. It's your resp- In the end, the Lord will ask me to give an account for how I shepherded you, but He will ask you to give an account for whether you walked with Him or not. And so the first point of our covenant together is that you take the responsibility to develop your relationship with God. We provide the environment. We provide music and we provide worship. We provide truth. We provide a platform. We give you an arena for relationships. You're connected to one another. You have each other's phone numbers and emails. And it's up to you to walk with the Lord and to walk with each other. And it's the church's responsibility to provide an environment, a room, and relationships, and an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. 
but it's up to you to live for Jesus and to obediently follow him. And as a covenant community, that's the one thing, the first thing that you would have to agree to is that, you know, in 2017, if I'm going to attach myself to this body, they have it as an actual line in their uh, covenant that I need to walk with the Lord. I was going to do that anyway, but I'm glad that it's in their covenant that I should walk with the Lord. So that's the first thing that we covenant together. The second point of our covenant is that we're going to walk and we're going to worship together as family. You know, there's a lot of ways that the Bible defines the relationship uh, of the church, but one of the ways is a familial way. There's brother Paul and brother and sisters, and they use familial language that we have our Abba, Father. And so within the church, even on the pages of Acts, we read that it is a familial relationship. And that's good because, um, you know, I don't know how you're like with your family, but but some you know most families, when you're together, you sort of... Um, you don't have to pretend. You can just sort of relax a little bit. You don't have to pretend like you're more spiritual than you are. You don't have to um, act. You can almost kind of let your guard down a little bit. And so when you walk into the fellowship of believers, it should feel like a family a little bit. It should feel like, you know, I can throw a fit and I can mess up and I can uh, have some struggles and I don't have to have it all together in this room. I think that's one of the things I appreciate most about Ridgeline is that I don't feel like anybody feels like they have to have it all together to be in this room. Uh, And that's how a covenant family should be, that we walk and worship together as family. And a family is committed to each other. They love each other. They accept each other. They forgive each other. And they walk with each other. Uh, And our covenant says it this way, that we do those things until death or God's calling and leadership causes us to part. The third point of our covenant, not only are we going to live for Jesus and walk with him on our own, but we're going to uh, walk together as family. The third thing is that we want to help each other. The third section, based on all these one another's, is that we want to help each other. You shouldn't be trying to do this alone. And if you find yourself isolated, if you find yourself cutting yourself off from relationships, isolating yourself then you're steps away from struggle and failure. One of, the, one of the quickest ways I can tell if somebody is struggling is they cut off, they isolate, they walk away, they don't attend regularly, they, they miss lots of times in a row, and you should know that too. I've heard a lot of you, uh, to your credit, say, hey, can you tell me what's going on with so-and-so? I haven't seen them in two or three weeks. And, and as I've sort of checked, more people have said the same thing and said, hey, we're praying for them and they're contacting. And then I'll call that person and check on them and say, yeah, five people have checked on us this week. That's a good thing. I wish we were all better at doing that. But we want to help each other. And so our covenant says it this way. We want to help one another grow toward Christ-likeness. And we listed a, a lot of ways based on all those New Testament verses. So I'm just going to rapid fire these. Listen. At the end of this, I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you which one of these are you good at and which one of these are bad at, and I want you to verbally respond to me. Raise your hand and say, I feel like I'm okay at this one, Gib, but I feel like I need to work on this one, or the Lord is speaking to me about this one. So listen as I list these things and how we're supposed to uh, operate and help toward one another. We're to help one another grow toward Christ-likeness by bearing one another's burdens. That as you feel a giftedness toward, you see somebody struggling and you have this merciful gift that you want to go help them. Hey, are they struggling? Let's go over. Let's go take a meal. Let's go pray for them. What do we need to do to help them bear their burden? Second thing, encouraging one another. Maybe somebody just needs a word and and the Lord puts them on your heart and you send an encouraging 
message. You ever know an encouraging brother or sister in Christ? That they just happen to know right, the right time to send you the right word and it just lifts your spirits. Encouraging. Exhorting one another. Exhorting is a Bible word for preach. And it's just the way that we can um, share the truth of God's word, speak it into somebody's life. Hey, the Lord, uh, I was thinking of this verse and I, and I was thinking of you and, and it's a way in which the Lord might rebuke you or strengthen you. Or, but it's a, it's a speaking God's word into somebody's life. Other people see that as prophesying, speaking God's word into someone's life. Praying for one another. Do you have this um, calling to pray for the families at Ridgeline? Confessing your sins to one another. Do you have, um, uh, are you an open person that someone feels like you're trustworthy enough not to gossip and not to share, but, but to be a, a place where they can confess their sins? Speaking the truth in love to one another. Admonishing one another. Submitting to one another. Serving one another. Do you have a gift that just says, I, don't, I just need to serve, whether it's behind the scenes or up front, but God, I can't stop serving, and that's the way God has gifted me. Uh, patiently bearing with one another. Being hospitable to one another. Greeting one another. That's actually a gift and a blessing in the church, to be able to greet people. Um, living in peace with one another. Regarding one another is more important than ourselves. That's a Philippians 2 marker of spiritual growth. That as you grow in your spiritual growth, you become less important and others become more important. And so that's a marker of spiritual maturity. That you're viewing other people as more important than yourself. Just a natural place in our spiritual growth is that we're, we need attention. No one said hi to me. No one talked to me. No one, I'm not getting fed. All these things are about us. But, but once you reach a different sort of level of spiritual maturity, it's, you become to see others as more important. <clears throat> uh, regarding one another is more important than ourselves. Caring for one another. Exercising spiritual gifts to serve one another. Do you know how God has gifted you spiritually? And are you walking in that giftedness? It's not a physical talent. It's a spiritual talent. And there are lists in Scripture that tell you how you're spiritually gifted. Uh, being kind and tender-hearted toward one another. Do you know someone who's kind and tender-hearted? Being devoted to one another. That is, that you're committed to each other. Whether you feel good about each other or not, you're committed to each other in devotion. Accepting of one another. Forgiving one another and loving one another. Alright, now that's a big list. So, uh, raise your hand if one of those stuck out to you as maybe something that you feel like you're working on or something you're good at or something that uh, God has blessed you with or maybe some area that you need more work on. I'm just going to shut this recording off. The fourth point of our covenant is a different category altogether. And I could probably best categorize the fourth bullet point on our covenant in this way, the proverb says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Really good word picture. If you take two pieces of iron and you scratch them together, it wears off material. And uh, it's not a very pretty process. It's sometimes abrasive or violent. If you've ever seen a metal file with the big teeth or if you ever you know, rubbed your knuckles across something um, that um, you know, can scratch the skin off, something like that. This iron sharpening iron idea is that relationships within the church are not always pleasant, but they're good. And, and what do I mean by that? That sometimes um, there are rough edges in any of us, 
And God has placed us together not to make us happy, but to make us holy, right? God has placed us together not so that you can have kind of like your best life now and thrive together, but, but so that you can be holy. And that, so that God has placed you in these relationships on purpose uh, so that people who know you and know your tendencies and know your struggles can come alongside you and call you on the carpet when you need to be called. It's uncomfortable for us. We would often rather be uh, sort of anonymous and slip into a crowd where no one knows us and no one is calling us on the carpet and no one is confronting us. But there are times in your life when you need to be confronted. There are times in my life when I need to be confronted. And I have a group of six or seven guys that have the ability and the green light that know me best that the Lord can put them on, my heart, on, on me on their heart in a moment, and they can call me and check on me, and I, I've committed to 100% honesty with those men. And this is this category, so let me read it for you, that we invite one another to pray for us, to teach us, to correct us, or rebuke us, if, if necessary, in a spirit of gentleness and humility, should we stray from our Lord's commands. Because the thing we desire most in life is to serve Christ faithfully. You see how we got to the heart of that? Your desire is to serve Christ faithfully. That at the end of your life, that you finish your, the faith strong. That you're walking with the Lord and that you look back on your life and you say, I did it. I crossed the line. I finished the faith. I persevered. I walked with the Lord. And it wasn't always pretty, but I finished well. And we need each other to do that. And so... The covenant says we voluntarily submit ourselves to one another and to the discipline of the church. Such discipline will always be for the loving purpose of restoration. Restoration to the fellowship with God and the covenant community. But it will always be done in accordance with Matthew 18, 15 to 22. You understand that passage? Um, Jesus said, this is Jesus, the head of the church, right? Jesus said, if you see someone in sin... You go and confront them. If you see someone struggling, you go confront them one-to-one for the purpose of hopefully they will repent of that sin. But if you see someone in clear violation of the scriptural command, clear violation, the Lord has put that person in your sight so that you can not go to somebody else and say, hey, I saw so-and-so do this, but so that you can go directly to that person and say, hey, and we're all struggling. We're all struggling with temptation. I know this is a hard situation, but Scripture says this, and you're doing this. And I urge you to not go through with this. I urge you to repent, to turn from that sin. And my hope is that you will be restored to the Lord and restored to walking in righteousness and holiness and uh, avoiding temptation. But if you don't, I'm going to come back with somebody else, and we're going to prayerfully together confront you. And as we prayerfully together confront you, our hope is that you'll repent and that you'll be restored to the church and that you'll be restored to fellowship. And if that person still refuses to listen to one or two people, then the next goal is to bring that issue before the church. And as you bring it before the church, uh, the church says, hey, we love you, but you can't be a Christ follower and persist in blatant sinful behavior like this. And as painful as that is, if that person still doesn't repent, then the biblical command is excommunication. That they are kicked out of the fellowship of this body of believers. And that they are allowed, as Paul said, hand them over to Satan for a time 
so that they may learn not to blaspheme or learn not to sin, so that they experience the righteous consequences of persisting in sin. And that's a good thing. And the Lord has allowed that so that they may be won, so that they may be spared, so that they may come back to faith in Christ, always with the goal of restoration. Now let me just pause here for a second because we had this happen uh, in our church the first year we launched, 2013. We had a covenant member, covenant family. Uh, Several of us went to this person to confront him about an extramarital relationship. Uh, and to try to reconcile the marriage and to try to reconcile the relationship. Uh, one-to-one, I went to this person. Uh, a few other people went to this person. And then as I outlined the steps in a very heated phone conversation above Tilly Mint's tea room where I used to office for three hours with this person, I outlined the next step. That over the last six months, we sent this person, we sent that person, we came as a group. We Always with the goal of restoring you to your relationship with your wife, and restoring you to this relationship with this church. And I said, the next step is that this Sunday we go before the body of believers and we just tell them what sin you're struggling with. We pray for you, and our hope is that you'll, in front of the church, repent and be restored to your wife and be restored to this body of believers. And he just outright said, I refuse to be a part of that service. And he didn't show up on that Sunday. We announced it and we talked about it. And then he exited the church. Did you know a year later I got a phone call from that guy and said that was the greatest gift you could have given to me was following through with church discipline? Did you know that your bold move of kicking me out of the church actually caused me to reconsider what I was doing? And though I was too prideful, he got involved in another church about a year later But looking back on it, he said it was the best thing that we could have done for him. Now, I didn't do that because I wanted to. Nobody wants to do that. That's why very few churches practice church discipline. But it's a good thing because Jesus instructed it. And by being a covenant member of this body, you're signing on that anyone in this room has the right to confront you with truth in a spirit of gentleness and humility for the purpose of your soul, to, to restore you. So the worst thing they could do is just wink at your sin and say, hey, I get it. Just go, just, go, just go ahead with your heart. Follow your heart, right? It's the worst thing we could say. And so by being a covenant member, we agree that we want to invite each other to keep each other accountable in those measures. Uh, the last thing that we do Uh, is bringing honor to the body of Christ by maintaining a good testimony. That is, that you have neighbors and you have co-workers and that your co-workers, if they were to know that you went to Ridgeline, that they would think positively of Ridgeline and not negatively based on your relationship with your neighbors and co-workers. That you want to have a good testimony. That in the community, people know you as a peaceable, loving, gentle, kind uh, Christ follower who's a servant at heart not a drunkard, not someone who beats your wife, not someone who beats your kids, not someone who uses bad language, not someone who's always hauling liquor bottles to the curb. And then they say, you go to church? Yeah, I go to church. You want to have a good testimony to those around you so that if they learn you're a Christian, they're not surprised. Oh, really? I couldn't tell you were a believer. 
So our covenant together is that you walk in such a way that you bring a good name to Jesus, that Jesus has good uh, honor, that you, as our passage here says, that in everything you adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I missed one. There's one more. Contribute to the healthy growth of this church by faithfully serving, giving, attending, and protecting the unity of the body of Christ by refusing to gossip or be divisive in any way. All right, that's our covenant, and next Sunday is our opportunity to sign that. We, we work on an annual covenant, and so if the Lord is leading you to attach yourself to this body of believers, you sign that covenant, and next Sunday when you turn that in, we have a covenant ceremony where we all stand up here and we look at each other. It's like a marriage ceremony. We say, do you agree to do this? Yes, I will. We all say it together. And for the next year, we partner together to walk in covenant relationship. Now, if you're not sure by next week if that's you and that's what the Lord is saying to you or not, you can do this at any time. You just miss the big marriage ceremony, right? You can participate next year. Um, but this is our way of, of trying as best as we can to follow the covenant. And I'm not the enforcer of the covenant. That's what you're for, to walk with each other in this way. Thank you for your time uh, and your attention this morning. And thanks for making this a priority on New Year's Day. Uh, I'm grateful and hopeful for our church. Matter of fact, over the last few days, uh, I've never been more hopeful than I am for our church than I am right now. That's saying a lot. It's been a long five years uh, full of ups and downs, but I am hopeful for what the Lord has in store for this body of believers. I feel like we've been purified, we've been strengthened, and that the believers in this church have endured a lot. And as we walk together, I look forward to it. A great 2017. Father, we want to thank you for our time this morning. We want to thank you for the fellowship, for prayer, for singing. Uh, We want to thank you for the believers that are gathered together uh, together today. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would bind our hearts together, that as we walk together in the family relationship, that we would make your name glorious, that we would adorn the gospel in this community, that as people hear and learn that we are Christ followers, that it, would, that it would make them love you and seek you in deeper ways than they are now. Would you use this church for your glory as salt and light in this community? And would you give us wisdom and discernment to know where you would call us to join together? Some may need to be in this church. Some may need to be in another church. Some may need to go to Redemption 1010 and be with Jeff and Tina. Others may need to move to a a different church in a local body of believers. Whatever you're doing, would you give us wisdom and discernment to hear from you in this important call? In Jesus' name, amen.